So this is week four, the last night that I'll be doing this series. It's been, the series has been A Life Beyond Amazing, and basically if you're first time to come, that's fine, uh, but it's based on Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. There's nine different things Paul lists there that says if you're a Christ follower, you should be exhibiting these virtues or traits in your life, not through your own strength, but actually through the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit produces it in your life, and you, you honor and bring glory to God as you do that. There's nine of them, and I told you from the beginning, I get to pick and choose the six I want to cover. That doesn't mean the other three that don't get covered uh, aren't important. It's just I just didn't get to fit them all in. So we may get them later, but uh, tonight we're going to cover humility or gentleness. Some translations say that. And then I'll have a kind of a sum up and our dependency on the Spirit and some practical steps to do uh, so that uh, we can honor God with our lives. The word humility or meekness sometimes gets a bad rap. Uh, ooh, it's a humble person. We equate that with they're weak or you can run all over them or, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's not, not true. There, there's been studies done and in the top CEOs of very productive companies and, you know, they try to find out what are the characteristics of the top executives of the company that really make this go. And typically, humility's up there. Because that sets the culture for the whole thing and their success. And whether or not they're Christian or not, God honors it when there's just a, a humbleness about even leaders. So humility doesn't mean you're weak. Uh, there's plenty of leaders that are humble. It's also, humility is not necessarily self-depreation. Uh, it doesn't mean I'm always trying to humble brag. You know, oh, I'm just so bad at that. But what I really am saying is, can you tell me how good I am at that? And you know kids do that, and you know adults do that as well. So it's not I'm putting myself down so that I can get compliments. Uh, no, it's, it's not that at all. Um, humility is, is, or being humble is not something that any of us are born with. You are not born humble. You're born a sinner. You come that way. Uh, but humility of God, the way that he describes it through scriptures, is only something that the Spirit develops in us as we mature in Christ and the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Um, I gave you the, the notes are back there. If you need the notes, again, I'm not putting any blanks on it because I don't want to put any pressure on y'all or on me to have to fill in the blanks because I might not say it or whatever. And then the beavers out here just have lost. They've lost all hope. And I don't want to do that to y'all. So, uh, but it's there for the scriptures, and I'm going to go pretty quick through the scriptures. We're going to look at just two that I'll have, have you turn to. The first one that I'll ask you to turn to is 1 Peter chapter 5. So go to 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. No one is born humble, but yet God says to be humble. So if God commands us to do something, that must be it. Must mean it's attainable. Must be possible. If it was impossible, he wouldn't say, "Go be that. Go do that." So, First uh, Peter, chapter five, near the back of your Bibles or on your devices. First, uh, uh, verses six. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Just before that, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, Paul says, humble yourselves before God. Don't be 
prideful. The opposite of humility would be pride. And uh, a lot of people are really good at that. It's something that comes naturally to all of us. But yet God says, which most of these fruit of the Spirit are opposite than what the world would say is acceptable. God's ways is typically uh, opposite of that. And God says, no, you should be, you should be humble. You should be a, a, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now, all of these fruit of the Spirit, you know, if I'm not a Christian or if, someone, if you're not a Christian in here and you walk out of here and, man, I'm going to, I had this awesome message on being hu- humble and, and humility, and I'm just going to do it in my own strength. I'm going to be the most humble person there is, right? The more you do that, it's really pride that you're doing. You're really going to, you're going to dig in. You're going to do this all self. You're going to just do it. That's always the wrong attitude. All of these fruit of the Spirit is only possible if you have the Holy Spirit. You've, you've yielded your life. You've surrendered your life. you put your faith and trust in what Jesus did. And you said, you're my Savior and Lord. You paid the price of my sin on the cross. I accept that gift uh, of your mercy and grace. And then when you do that, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes into your life. You're the temple of God now. And the Holy Spirit is the thing that gives you the power to change and to exhibit these qualities. Okay? But it's going to take... It's going to take time. But the Holy Spirit says for believers that we should be exhibiting humility. What is humility? Uh, There's several definitions. I like this definition. Humility is the ability to use the power and resources I possess for the good of others. The ability to use the, the resources and the power I possess for the good of others. Humility. Another uh, perspective on that would be it's, it's not thinking less of yourself. It, humility is thinking of yourself less. So to be humble doesn't mean I'm not a, self, I'm not a confident person. I don't have self-esteem issues. I can be humble and still be, have a good self-esteem. But my esteem doesn't come in just my abilities, my strength, what I am, and all the things I've done. No, my strength comes through God empowering me through the Holy Spirit to do those things. And then my motive is why I do everything and you do everything is not for my own glory, but for God's glory. Because then you realize in any profession that it's for sure exhibiting these fruits of the Spirit. Uh, It's God that did it through me. I, I won't spend a long time, but I told God I would never public speak. I failed at that. God did not fail. God never agreed to that equation. But uh, I would be like Moses and be like, I am not a good speaker. Uh, I get very nervous and whatever. And it's the spirit that calls you. And Not everyone's called to the ministry. Some are, some are not. But the God that calls you to whatever you do in your life, professionally, in your family, whatever uh, exhortations or commands he gives in Scripture, he is the one that achieves it. But that doesn't then mean give me the... Oh, well, God didn't do his part. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to do anything. I have no responsibility for making the fruit of the Spirit happen in my life. No, it's kind of a, not an either or. Is God doing it or am I doing it? It's a both and. God for sure is the source, but we have responsibility and commanded to say, but be humble. You know, be loving, be joyful, be peaceful. There's those commands. So it's, it's a both and. Uh, considering humility, uh, the enemy of humility, like I said, it's, it's pride. Uh, pride is the enemy. It says in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Uh, we've all seen examples of this. Prideful people that fall 
And in the, the day of social media, it becomes very public, very fast. We tend to put people up on pedestals, and even in ministry, be careful putting any pastor or any one you follow up on a pedestal that's even higher than Jesus Christ, because there'll only be Christ up there. We're all sinners saved by grace, but even in seminary, there's a story of a professor in a seminary, and he, uh, he kept a record of seminary graduates who, he- who had either abandoned their faith or fallen into sin. And uh, his list came rather, rather lengthy. But there was always a common denominator between those people that did that. And he said, the, the, the seminary professor said, all but one were men of pride or arrogance. Because ultimately pride is saying, I did it, I did it. I did it. Look at me, look how great I am. Look at what I preached, look how I uncovered the gospel message so great. And who's getting the glory? I am. But that's what pride is too. Even in your work, which we're commanded to work, if you take pride in it and you want always the compliments and you need all the everything, when we did, again, social media, Facebook, whatever social media platform, you, I, that's where I drew my line. You draw your own lines. You want to keep up with Twitter and TikTok and all the things. Uh, my kids don't want me on those things. So, um, But whatever social media, the problem with the phone, selfies, Constantly looking at them. Always thinking about myself. Always. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. The fruit of the Spirit is I'm thinking of other people uh, more than myself, to be humble. So it's, pride is, is not what God would want us to do. Is there something wrong with striving to be the best or recognizing achievements? No, there's not. Um, that there's a thin line between wanting the best for God's glory versus our own glory. And that's the battle. You know, I deserved to get recognized for fill in the blank. Is that for my glory or is that for God's glory? That's in every profession. That's for every person, regardless of what they do and who they are. And what, um, so we always, we, we always kind of fight that, that, that battle. Pride is a subtle enemy that can creep in at any time. Uh, a, good, a good thing to test is if you grow to depend on the praise of other people, do you constantly meet, need to be affirmed? Now, we could talk the love languages, and I think my number one love language is affirmation. Uh, so I do like to be praised, but that's a whole other story. That just means my wife can show me love by saying, good job, Keith, good job. Um, but we shouldn't constantly be doing that. We should do what's right because it's right, whether people see it and acknowledge it or not. Humble people do that. Uh, pride has a, a ravenous appetite. It needs constant feeding, affirmation. Humility, contrasted that, is, is self-sustained by the grace and the blessing of God. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to think of others more than I could. I'm going to show and live out, hopefully, humility. And whether I get credit for it or not, or not, God knows. And I just did what was right in the situation. An example of humility will... Um, you cannot beat Jesus Christ's example. Uh, a suffering servant. Uh, he was the one that left the glory of heaven to come to earth and assume the role of a servant to his own human subjects. Um, it's no wonder that in Philippians 2.8, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. 
I'm not saying that we have to die on a cross to truly be humble people. But if you, you know, be careful who you idolize and who you put up on your pedestals. Jesus is a good one. It's going to be a tough one to always measure up to that. But I think we should aim high. There's only two places in Scripture where it explicitly states that our Lord Jesus left us an example to follow. One of those, one of those places uh, is the day before Christ is going to be crucified on the cross. Jesus and his disciples are meeting. They're gathered in a house to celebrate the Passover meal. As they finish the meal, the disciples, the guys that are closest to Jesus, have followed him for three years. What are they doing? They're arguing amongst themselves who's going to be the greatest. Pride. After spending three years with Jesus, you think they would have gotten it by now, but they don't, they don't get it. While they're arguing about that, Jesus gets up from the table, he crosses the room, and he gets a, a basin of water. Without a word, he takes off his outer garment, he takes a towel, he wraps it around his waist, he tied it to his back. The disciples knew exactly what that meant when he started doing those things, because customarily, uh, a servant, some lady would come in and wash the feet of the people that are in there. That's what a servant would do, or a slave in those days. Jesus poured the water in the basin. He moves toward the disciples, near, the nearest one to him. He starts washing his feet. Now, in those days, nasty, barefoot, sandals, walking on dirt roads, you know, pretty nasty by the second or third or fourth guy, just nothing but brown water, pretty gross and lowly. And here is their, their master washing their feet, and they tried to stop it, but Jesus wouldn't allow it. Two of the people who Jesus washed that day were Peter, who's going to deny him three times after his death, and Judas, who's going to betray Jesus Christ and get him arrested and crucified on a cross. You think that was a powerful act of humility? I'm not a foot person. That's just me. I'm not, I don't want people rubbing my feet. I don't want to rub other people's. It's just not me. I need to work on my humility, I guess. But uh, what a powerful, Jesus didn't have to say anything, but he does say something. But what a powerful, just a moment that he performs in, in an example of, of this humility. He rose up and he performed the lowliest of tasks, which is to wash someone's feet. This is the son of the highest stooping to the very lowest. John thirteen twelve it says, uh, Jesus said this to his disciples, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. The ultimate example of thinking of others. So Christ is the ultimate example, but how do we cultivate this humility in our lives? What are some things we can do? How do we go about showing more humility? I'd say the first thing is recognize your pride. Um, we all have some pride. If you deny, I mean, it, it's, it's a battle you always take because at some point you're going to do something really good, and if you do it really good, someone... Someone's going to try to recognize you for that good, and then you're in the battle of, do you say thank you, or do you do the humble brag, or I'm not very good, or whatever. I have, when I preach, or when I teach, or if I do something good, even after like tonight, you would tell me that was good, I should just say thank you. But realize it's, in my own battle, it's not that I did that, God gave me the gifts and the strengths and the things to do what he's called me to do, to be able to do. 
So again, it's all about the glory and who you're serving. But there's this battle of pride. Romans 12.3, Paul warns the Christians there in Rome. He says, not to think of themselves more highly than they ought to think. Um, So you're going to have this battle uh, of pride. There was a, um, in the book Life-Changing Love by John Ortberg, he told a story that there was a CEO, a Fortune 500 company, uh, a guy, he pulled into a gas station to get to get gas. He went inside and to pay for the gas. Meanwhile, his wife was outside and started talking up a conversation with one of the attendants there that was putting the gas in. And it uh, turned out that the wife knew this guy from high school. Actually, they dated uh, back in high school some. And uh, the CEO comes back and noticed that they had this conversation. And he's feeling pretty good about himself. So he finally decided to say this to his wife. And it's just the two of them. He says, I bet I know what you were thinking. I bet you were thinking you're glad you married me, a Fortune 500 CEO, and not him, a service station attendant. She quickly responded, No, I was thinking I'd, if I'd married him, he'd be a Fortune 500 CEO, and you'd be a service station attendant. <laughs> be careful with the pride, okay? Um, it really comes down to a heart issue, your motive. And it's just something you have to recognize and you have to confess and repent of and say, God, I, uh, you know, I want you to get the glory, not, not me. Secondly, start, start serving. Uh, Paul encourages us to take the form of a bondservant in Philippians 2.7. There seems to be some divide connection between serving and humility. I'm not saying you have to wash people's feet, but there's plenty of ways you can serve. And serving someone just conveys you really care about them. And you don't serve somebody so you can get the attention and and get all the credit for it. That's the humble brag. By the way, the Facebooks are big on the humble brags. Pastors do it too, okay? Man, I just did a great sermon, and my people are so great. It's a humble brag on all the Internet so everyone can see. Or here is my sermon that I just preached. May you also partake of it, and may it bless your life. I get it, and God can use that, and that message can get to more people. I get it. But the enemy is very crafty. He can use that, and then it, from a pastor perspective, how many people viewed it? How many people commented on it? How many whatever? Man, I'm a pretty big deal. Look, I have like 100 people that viewed my whatever. Whoop-de-doo. It's very subtle, and the enemy is very good, and he can take it. So it's always the pride is you've got to be careful. If you're serving people then every time you do something and help someone, just don't, just don't expect a thank you. Just do it because you're serving. Jesus didn't expect a thank you when he washed his disciples' feet. He did it because he wanted it to be an example of servicehood and humility. Um, keep listening and learning. Uh, the first ten chapters of Proverbs, that, you know, Proverbs is all a book of, of, of wise sayings. It's a father giving instruction to his son and trying to gain more wisdom. And... Uh, he constantly is telling his son to, to listen and to hear and to remember the words he's saying. Uh, I think the, the, the point is, it, be a constant learner. Never think you have arrived. I am a guy that has done a lot of school. I, my goal was to be out of school before my kids were both in college, <laughs> and I barely made it. I've done a lot of school, got a lot of uh, many, many years in school. Um, it doesn't really matter. The school and why you do education is so you can be better at what you do or in your whatever profession you do. You, you do the learning so you can do 
best at your job. Not everyone that is in the ministry has to go to seminary, but it equips those that are called to do it the best. But on the same line, when I get my doctorate, I don't expect you to call me Dr. Keith Hamilton, and I'm going to call you out if you don't call me Dr. Keith Hamilton. Now, professors start doing that when you're working on your dissertation, and they start getting you used to that Dr. Keith Hamilton, Dr. Keith Hamilton. I like the way that sounds. Uh, one of Mason's friends called me Dr. Rev. I like that. That's cute. Dr. K, that's cool. But seriously, it doesn't really matter how much you know. And even when you finish, whatever degrees you finish, isn't there always more to learn? The problem when the pride kicks, hits in is when you think you've arrived and you're done learning. There's nothing else in this world or through God's word that you could possibly learn. I'm preaching to the choir here tonight on a Wednesday night. There's always more we can learn. Always be a student. Always keep listening. Always uh, be open to what God wants to share you through somebody else or even through someone else's writing or teaching. Stop taking yourself so seriously. Um, don't think too highly of yourself. God, uh, life has a way of doing that. If you're married, uh, your, your spouse has a way of keeping you humble. Um, I'm not going to share any stories on that. But uh, yeah, or if you have children or grandchildren, they can also keep you humble because out of the mouths of babes, right? Uh, yeah, they just shoot straight, you know. Grandpa, why are you so fat? You know, that kind of thing, or, or whatever. You can, you can figure it out. Uh, stop thinking so highly of, of your, uh, taking yourself so serious. Okay, I'll share this story. Why not? Um, Joe Lilly's funeral was Monday. It was, this, this room was packed. There was standing room only. And uh, the, I led the service, and the service was done. I talked with the Lilies, and how do you want it? How do you want to leave? And they didn't want to have to talk to everybody, and so they didn't know whether they go in the back or they stand up front, but they stayed here. And then the funeral home had everyone come around. Long story short, it took like an hour, and a, like an hour. And I was standing right here, and, uh, and the family, and it, they're just loved, okay? So it's, it's a good problem to have, but it was like a reception after a funeral. Um, and one lady came, up, came by and goes, you know, which, and uh, who was it that told, when Joe Lilly had his accident, that told him to give thanks to God or be grateful for it? At this point, I'm 45 minutes after doing a lesson and doing all the things. I'm like, yeah, I think I might have said that. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, it's scriptural. Sounds good. Um, we kept talking, and then my boss, Jeff Franklin, was right next to me. He goes, yeah, that was actually me that said that. I'm like, oh, yeah. I took credit for something that I didn't do. Good advice. And then later on, the funeral director, he goes, he goes to me, he says, you should work in the funeral industry. You kind of just take credit for everything. I'm like, well, I don't know. You just kind of nod and smile. I don't know if I did it or not. I can't remember what I said for two seconds. But uh, don't take credit for something your boss did when your boss is next to you. That's... So God has a way of humbling us at times as well. Spend time with children out of the miles of babes. Psalm 8-2 is where that phrase comes from. Uh, it's kind of an idea that, you know, children, okay, you know, children are not sinless, they're not perfect, and they're not naturally humble. They just aren't. But what they are is um, they're not infected with this pride and this arrogance that adults tend to get. As we get older in age, we become very prideful, arrogant, and selfish sometimes, and stingy, and opinionated. And it's my where the highway. 
Kids don't do that. They kind of go with the flow. Um, they're, they're relaxed. They're, they're less self-conscious. Uh, they fail. They fall. They get up. They move on. They don't continue with shame and ego. They're not, their ego's not shattered by what they did. They're just like, it's the next moment. Let's go to the next thing. Um, they're willing to try and do things. So constantly in Scripture, it'll say like the faith of a child. Jesus says, you know, we tend to make salvation and following God so hard, and it's really not that hard. Children can do it. Uh, it's just a, a, a mentality of, um, you know, I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to obey that. Um, children can teach us humility. They can keep us humble at the same time. Uh, God gifted me and my wife with two kids, uh, Madison's in college, and Mason is a senior in high school. And uh, they keep me humble, and they keep us humble, because as they become teenage kids, uh, you know, it's all about their, perform- their appearance and how they- their self-image is everything. I get it. And their main thing is, don't embarrass me. But then on the parent side, I'm like, I really want to embarrass, you know? So it's this battle that goes on. But uh, anytime my kids hear me teach or preach, for sure my daughter, she has the gift of criticism. Uh, she, can, she will tell me, you did that wrong. Uh, or my son was like, you just looked foolish or you sounded dumb or whatever. So they have a way that kids have a way, hang out with kids. If you don't have any kids or whatever, serve in the children's ministry be around kids because they're just a lot of fun and they have a way of keeping you humble. Uh, so spend time with children. Last is uh, don't lose perspective. Theodore Roosevelt, he was the 26th president. Uh, he was a larger-than-life man. He was big on going on the outdoors and uh, many national parks and monuments began in his presidency, 1901 to 1909. He went on safaris to Africa uh, he helped uh, kind of uh, sustain the continent and for it to go out to the west here in the United States. Uh, and the biogra- biographers that told about Roosevelt's habits, they would say he would take White House, White House guests, they would take them outdoor late at night before they retired for the evening. He'd have them go outside and line up and just stare up into space. Now this was before all the lights where you can't see anything from inner cities anymore, urban cities. But back in those days, you could see all the stars and the vastness of the space. You stay out there for a little bit. And then at some point, he would say, gentlemen, I believe we are small enough now. Let's go to bed. When the man that sits on the most powerful desk in the world is willing to contemplate his own smallness in light of God's vastness, there's something of humility at work. Our world needs more humility. Our world has plenty of pride. In leaders of all shapes and sizes, we got plenty of pride. I don't know if Roosevelt, you know, followed King David of Israel's example, and in Psalm eight three through five, it, it talks about the greatness of God. And uh, I encourage, you know, if you're older in age and you have ability to travel and see the beautiful creation, anytime you can go anywhere. And I get why some people do the deer hunting thing and the fishing thing. We can be in the outdoors and just see, uh, see the vastness of God and his creation. It has a way of kind of countering our prideful, look at me, look at me, look at me, world and culture. So keep perspective. And then hopefully we can, uh, we can say the, and, and live the promise of James 4.10. that says, humble yourselves on the side of the Lord and he will lift you up. Uh, a couple of questions to think about. 
for ourselves, for humility? Are you obsessed with or made anxious by your social status? Our, our day struggles with a lot of anxiety and, and unsettledness and self-esteem issues and all these things. And I think it's because we get in the comparing game. And these don't help. <laughs> Man, look how great a vacation they're taking. Look how great their kids are. Look how photogenic that is and all the stuff. And why isn't my life like that? And we do that. The enemy uses that. Humility says... I. I am who I am, and God's created, gifted me with what I have, and he's given, blessed me with what I have, and I'm going to use it for his glory, and I'm going to serve those I can help for his glory. Do you rank people by their wealth, their, uh, their possessions, their influence, or their job? Do you only help or serve people that can help and serve you? We're all guilty of that. We shouldn't be. You know, Jesus Christ gave a ton of examples where he's To the least of these, he's doing that. He's giving his time, his effort, he's healing. But ultimately, he's he's worried about their souls. So humility, for sure, we have to, we need to be living that out. Um, But then as I close, and I realize I didn't get through all the nine gifts of the uh, fruit of the Spirit, uh, but I want to talk about the God-inspired life a few more minutes. Uh, All of these fruit are only possible with the Holy Spirit making it in our life and making it come to be. Uh, It all boils down to what will you or I decide to do with the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives? Will we give him full control? Have we uh, submitted our wills towards him? Because he wants to give us a full life. It says in John 10.10, he wants to give us an abundant life, a life beyond amazing. But we must give him our life in order to experience the life he has for us. We must yield to him. Go to Galatians 5, uh, flip over to the left of Tad, Galatians 5, 22. Galatians 5, 22. Paul describes this fruitful life, or what is this fruit that, what are these characteristics, that virtues that I should be living out? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. A life empowered and produced by the Holy Spirit exhibits those things. That's the fruit that's evident. You're a Christ follower. You claim to be a believer and a Christian. You should be exhibiting, living out these things. So would people know, based on how you live your life, if you're a Christian or not, without you saying, I'm a Christian or not? One of the awkward things at a, at a, at a, at a funeral is to do a, a lead a funeral of someone you don't know if they're a Christian or not. You don't want to praise them so much and then just lift them up so much and put them in heaven, but actually they're not in heaven. Well, then what does it boil down to? Well, unless you know them, and sure enough, I, they talked about their, when they accepted Christ at a young age or whatever. Some people know, but if they don't know, then you boil it down to do they live out these fruit of the Spirit? Do you see any fruit in their lives? I don't see any fruit in their lives. Well, then God does what's right. That's kind of what you say at that moment. But I think the challenge from this is sometimes as believers, we don't even think about these things that I should be living this out. And Paul says, that's what y'all should be in. You should be radiating these things. Make sure you're doing it. 
living a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, in February 10, 2013, a fire broke out in an engine room of the Carnival cruise ship. Hopefully not the same cruise ship that uh, Blaze and Kaylee are on right now. But uh, uh, anyhow, this was in 2013. So it's probably not in service anymore. So this, this ship, uh, yeah, they're a uh, fire and uh, no power. Shut down all services. Drifted for four days before being towed into port. Mobile, Alabama. 4,200 people and the crew, they debarked, and they were hungry, smelly, exhausted, newly imp- impressed with the results of a power outage on modern life. Uh, the Holy Spirit, for the Christian, is the power source. You're not going to do it in your own power. It's not in your own strength. The Holy Spirit does it. He's the power source. Um, the Holy Spirit is, is the battery to your car. It's the, it's the battery to your smoke alarm. It's the charger to your iPhone. You ever been in a power outage? We had hurricanes in Houston, and we went three or four days without power. I really need power. I like AC, and I like being able to cook things, and I don't like not having power. Yet how many times through life we try to do the things God wants us to do without the power that God gives us? Holy Spirit is that power. It is the source. Plug into it. Use it. That's why in Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, Be filled with the Spirit. You, can, you and I cannot manifest or enjoy the fruit of the Spirit if the Spirit does not have control of our lives. So how do you accomplish that? Uh, living the life engaged with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is promised through Scripture that you get all of the Holy Spirit when you put your faith and trust in Christ and God. You want to be a Christ follower, a Christian, a believer. All the Holy Spirit, all 100% of Him comes into your life. Now, there are things in Scripture that says you can quench the Holy Spirit or you can... Uh, you can make it where the Holy Spirit's not really being used, and there's, you need to not do those things. And do the things that do allow the Holy Spirit to work and to speak in your life. So the first thing is we need to desire the Spirit. Um, at the end of uh, the climax of one of Israel's festivals, Jesus stood up in the temple and he said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The very next verse uh, says in that passage he was talking about the Holy Spirit. How thirsty are you for the Holy Spirit to be evident in your life and to be used and be, and be uh, maximized in your life? The Holy Spirit wants to direct our lives. He doesn't override our free will or seize control of our minds. Rather, he, he kind of sets the direction and gives us the power and wisdom, but it's up to us to desire it. So again, it's kind of a give and take. It's a both hand. Man, I just haven't heard from God at all. I just don't feel like I'm, I'm getting that special revelation from God. But yet I haven't been in church and I haven't opened his Bible in a year and I haven't, whatever, name all the things, but I can't hear from God. Duh. <laughs> See, the Spirit is, God, Holy Spirit can be magnified the most when it's in the elements that God chooses to speak through. And for sure it's God's word, for sure it's the church uh, through God's people. So we need to desire it. But the thing of, of, of quenching the Holy Spirit, you needed to denounce your sin the Holy Spirit in the first word of those two words is the word holy. Again, the Holy Spirit in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, all God, triune, uh, the Trinity, right? All one. Uh, it's a lot of theology and Brother Barry's in here, so I'm not going to dive into all that, okay? But the Holy Spirit is God and God is holy. So if I'm going to go do things that are unholy or sinful or whatever, fleshy, whatever you want to call it, why would I expect God to honor that and really be 
man, he's just really working through my sin. Denounce your sin, confess it. He is faithful and just, will forgive you of your sin. Devote yourself to God's word. I kind of already said that, but salvation is, it's not a, it's a process. Sanctification is, I give my life to Christ, and now I start my journey until he calls me home or he comes back. Either way, he's changing me slowly, but surely it's a process. I'm going to take two steps forward, one step back, but it's a process. I'm becoming more like Christ in my character and who I am. Um, you only do that through understanding God's word. Uh, know God's word, be, be invested in his word. Uh, it's kind of like using your computer. Uh, you know, data is stored on the hard drive. It's available for the operating system to use. And uh, when we fill our mind and our hard drive uh, with God's word, uh, the data is there, and then the spirit, the operating system, can then use it in whatever situation it needs it to. So these fruit of the Spirit, is just, it's just lived out as situations come up in your life and where you can help and meet a need and show a fruit of the Spirit and live that out, then do it. Die to your own, uh, your own ambition. Uh, Galatians 5, it goes on in Galatians 5, 24, and, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Crucifying the flesh is a daily challenge. It's choices, choices and decisions that we have to submit to God's righteousness instead of unrighteousness. Um, no servant can serve two masters. You're in my life cannot have two CEOs. We can't have two people in the driving seat of our life. It's one. It's either God or it's me or it's somebody else. God doesn't share. Uh, he, he, he wants to be all or nothing. That's how God operates. Um, the psalmist put it this way. He said, delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Ambition, I don't mean like I can't work hard or I shouldn't have personal goals. New Year's is coming up. You can set goals if you want. You can not set goals. That's up to you. Ambition, I think, in this context is, again, who gets the glory? Is it all about your plans and your dreams and your life and all of your things? And God, just stay out of it? Or is it, God, you, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, you're my, my leader. I will do whatever door you open. I'll walk through it, and I will not walk through whatever door you close. You're the one that's directing my path, not me. That's the kind of ambition that we need to be careful of because it's self-centered. And then determined to commit the Spirit's direction God is, is, is building a new house when he, uh, he can come in and he can change us however he wants to. The scriptures say he wants to change us, and it says how he wants to change us. Uh, but sometimes, you know, we don't want to give the builder or the contractor full keys to do whatever he wants in the renovation. We say, but this little area is off limits. Or I don't like, I didn't sign up that you could do that change. I want to keep this the way it is. Again, that comes down to loyalty and, and trusting God and like, who knows better? Um, God always knows better. And so determine to follow God and his leading in your life uh, as best you can. Don't quit and keep playing. Uh, I'll close with this. There was a, uh, a mother and a young son, and, and the son is learning to play piano. Uh, but uh, his attention kind of wanders off. And so the mom had a great idea. Let's take him to a, 
a, a professional pianist and a master pianist and let him hear and then set the bar so high he'll do nothing but you know try to do that and become that so she takes him to this concert the mother seats uh, has a seat before the concert starts with a friend and notice someone across the hall gets up leaves junior there goes off and starts talking to the friend meanwhile before the concert is going the Junior decides to get up and walk around, and as he's walking around, uh, he decides to open the door that says no admittance, and, uh, and then a few moments later, the house lights are, are dimmed, and the curtain comes up, and the boy is sitting at the piano, the grand piano, and he starts playing uh, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And of course, there's <laughs> some really awkwardness in the room, I'm sure, like, what is going on? This is not what I paid my money for. Uh, a few moments later, the, the grandmaster, the piano master, he comes up behind the boy, and the, the boy's still playing, and the, piano, he, the, the master stands behind him, and he says and whispers in his ear, don't quit, just keep playing. So he's keep playing, twinkle, twinkle, little star, and then, and then the, the, the master, as he's playing, starts his left hand, he's reaching over him, starts his left hand, get a little counter melody going here, get it going, and then a little bit more, and then he starts his right hand and starts a little thing on top here in the treble. And by the time their little twinkle, twinkle little star was over, everyone stood and applauded. It's kind of a picture of what the Holy Spirit's doing for us. So this series is not about how bad I am, and man, all these qualities, I wish I did more. We could all do more. Right? But we have the source, the Holy Spirit, the Grand Master, God himself in us. Why don't we think about that and utilize that power so say, God, use me. And just be willing to say, even take my twinkle, twinkle little star and make it a masterpiece. And then one day when this life is over, we can stand before our God and he'll say, come home, good and faithful servant. So on the one hand, it's just like if I was parenting kids, and I do parent my kid, raise the bar and then encourage and say, it's not just you, God is at work. God's doing things in you. Just be, have your eyes open. Look for the opportunities. And when there's a change, or he says change and go this way or go that way, then oh, trust God and go that way. Even if it's something that you're not real sure of, you should do it. Try it. The Holy Spirit in you will say, yeah, that's not you. Don't do that anymore. Or yeah, I should do that. Sometimes we get so, so set in our ways, we don't want to try anything new. There's blessings in trying new things. Because the, the Holy Spirit, the ones that gives us the spiritual gifts, the one that gives us the fruit of the Spirit, is God, and he has us here to achieve his purposes for his glory. And the spiritual gifts, you want to go down that road, we all have different spiritual gifts, and we kind of, you know, I, like, I wish I had that one, or I wish I had that one. Or, Man, I really wish I had that one. And the body analogy that Jesus used, they're all needed. There's not one part of the body that's more important than the other. They're all needed. And um, you see that, uh, I saw that, on Monday, I was going to close. I'll close. Monday, when uh, the funeral and Joe Lilly special service, really, 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 really neat um, because of the guy he was and, and the God he served. And he he didn't think anyone would be here. He said Susan said he didn't think anyone would be here. I think I said that in the service. I mean, video it, take it to heaven, and show Joe he was wrong. You know, kind of thing. But. Uh, even in our funeral service and loving on the people and, and the pastor does his part, but the church family does their part, 
and ladies that are serving, however they can serve at the meal, they do their part, and everyone does their part. When the church of the body of Christ serves and all the parts are working functionally, it's a beautiful thing to see. And not only to see it, but when you're the one that gets to experience that, that brings honor and glory. That they feel the love of God. And the people, the body of Christ, the people that are in it, when they get to feel that, that's the, the church is running like it should because it's using the gifts, the fruit of the Spirit and spiritual gifts to honor God and to honor that person that has gone. It's a beautiful thing. So keep playing your twinkle, twinkle little star and allow God to use it for his glory, and he will, and he will. Um, let me close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your faithfulness um, to send Jesus Christ. Thank you for him making himself a servant and, he, and, and humbly submitting to, to your will for his life that he would die uh, so that we might have relationship uh, with you, our holy God and our Father. And I pray that, that uh, we would uh, try to be more humble and that we would um, repent of pride and arrogance that is self-centered and that we would strive to allow the Holy Spirit to help us to see the world the way you would see it. People in need, uh, the gifts that we might have, the talents we might have, so that it might uh, help the church function better, or it might help the world uh, experience the love of you, or whatever it is, just that we would be people that exhibit who you are and that you're humble. And uh, I pray also that we would tap into the power source that believers have, and that's the Holy Spirit. That we would not try to do it in our own strength, but we would acknowledge that we need uh, the God of the universe to come and to, to make our life uh, a masterpiece and sing and, and shine the light of Christ to others. Thank you for changing us slowly but surely uh, and for making us more like you and exhibit the characteristics of Christ. And I pray that we would do that more and more for your glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.